This is Jennifer Gonzalez welcoming you to episode 38 of the Cult of Pedagogy podcast. In this episode, I'm going to tell you the story of a school library that increased student use by 1,000%. So it's a given that technology continues to grow, yes? But this growth has not been without its casualties. Traditional school libraries are seeing a sharp drop in student use. In this episode, I'm going to talk to two educators from Ohio who completely changed how their school library was used and saw truly incredible results. Before I get started, let me just take a minute to thank those of you who have left a review for me on iTunes. I am absolutely floored by the nice things you're saying over there. And knowing that you're listening and really getting something out of these episodes just motivates me to keep going. If you haven't left a review, please take a moment this week to go over to iTunes and leave one. Thank you so much. Okay, let's get into this fantastic library story. Last year at Big Walnut Middle School in Sunbury, Ohio, There were some days when fewer than 10 students passed through the library doors. Just like in so many other schools, students and teachers had a growing number of resources available to them through things like tablets, Chromebooks, e-readers, smart boards, so they no longer had the same need to visit the library that they once did. Now some schools have addressed this problem by converting their libraries to maker spaces. These are hands-on environments that allow students to build and create, uh, design and experiment. When we see makerspaces, we tend to see big Lego tables, coding and computing tools like Raspberry Pi kits, and 3D printers where students can see their creations come to life. But Big Walnut principal Penny Sturdivant had a vision that was different from the makerspaces she was seeing. She wanted her library to be a place that was a little less open-ended, a place where students did hands-on work, but as an extension of what was happening in their classrooms. Instead of taking her inspiration from the maker movement, Sturdivant was interested in trends she was seeing toward more personalized learning. The new and improved library would be called the Learning Center. As she began the process of reimagining the space, Sturdivant asked me to serve as a consultant. She introduced me to Ed Kitchen, whom she had recently hired to develop and then run the Learning Center, and the three of us met over Skype and a shared Google Doc to explore all the possibilities and think through the logistics and formulate a plan. Even in the early stages, we knew that this might be a story I could share here so that other schools who might not be ready for a full makerspace could see this as a viable alternative. So how did it all turn out? Well, Big Walnut's brand new learning center definitely doesn't suffer from a student use problem. On an average day, over 100 students will visit to work on projects, make use of interactive technologies, film and edit videos, and yes, check out books. Here's my interview with the people who made it happen. I am here with Penny Sturdivant and Ed Kitchen, and they are, um, well, they're here from Big Walnut Middle School, and this is a school in Ohio, and they have done some really interesting and creative things this year with their with what used to be their library media center. Um, they had been learning a lot about makerspaces and knew that they could be getting more use out of their current library, and so we worked together 
quite a bit last year and over the summer, and um, they have made some big changes. So we're going to talk about those with them. So hi, Penny. Hi. Hi, and hi, Ed. Hi. And so um, thanks so much for talking to me about this and sharing uh, the story of the evolution of your library. And we're going to be sharing some pictures and videos on the website so that other people can can see how it how it all works. But why don't you just, um, I'm going to let you guys take the mic for a while. Tell me a little bit about the story of how all of this got started. I'll talk about the administrative piece, and then I'm going to pass it over to Ed in once we got to um, the opportunity where he took it from there. Uh, last um, spring, about a year ago this time, I was approached uh, with the knowledge that, you know, our library was not being used. Uh, we have a beautiful space. Our building's um, just now five years old. Um, rarely were kids in it. Uh, rarely had anything changed from that traditional books come in, sit quietly, uh, work at the table, and leave. And the number of kids we were seeing in our library had declined significantly to days when the library was closed, no one noticed. So what is the challenge um, is one of these integral spaces historically that's big, has a lot of potential resources, is not being used, what can you do? Uh, given some time just to think, a little bit of reading, I'll be honest, I probably could have afforded some more investigation, but um, I came up with the idea of developing the library into a space that teachers could use. How can they use it as an, an extension of their learning? And uh, was fortunate enough that our administration said we have um, a person we're willing to dedicate to that process. They were uh, willing to make use of this and, and brought Ed on board and together um, began to talk and Ed's background in technology and, and working in a variety of ways, um, he really uh, helped me to get excited about just what I said, that idea of creating a place that was an extension of the classroom, which we felt was a, little, a twist off of what traditional maker spaces tend to be. And that was the purpose we felt we had here at the middle school. So Ed came on board with that, and from there he took the place and began developing it, what he thought could support the classroom. Yeah, so you know, at the beginning of school you have a, a large space, um, if you want to look at it just as a library. So, um, you know, books, a uh, few computers, and so we had to really adapt to what our staff would want, and, and with that being the extension of the learning, um, extension of the classroom into what we were going to call the learning center. So my first job was really to kind of uh, mainstream on you know, what did we want this to look like. Um, so as we as we looked forward uh, and really looked at our staff, we wanted to make it a collaboration space. So the design of it, as we'll get into later, is all about collaboration pods. Um, you know, being a classroom teacher for 22 years, three years really the last three years have been uh, with the technology coach and, and in our de technology department and now looking at all this 21st century learning I was really able to, to get a, 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 a sense of what is kind of out there um, so we brought in some um, equipment which we'll talk about uh, to kind of really um, engage the kid uh, engage the student into um, not just a library not just a common space not just a meeting space but really um, an extension of the classroom so 
Um, the, the process uh, took a little longer than we, we thought um, because as you start to look at things that are out there, um, there, there isn't a lot. Um, and when I say that, there, there's more maker spaces than what we're, we're calling common learning spaces um, uh, in, in schools. Um, so uh, we took that idea and just ran with it. So that's, that's a good thing for us to get clear right off the, the, the top of this, is that you all are calling this the learning center. It is, you would not refer to it as a maker space. Not at all. Okay. I think, you know, as I've, I've been around the country, you know, presenting on different aspects of 21st century, you know, the, the big word was the maker space. And, right. You know, getting your hands on things and doing 3D printers and so forth. And what I think was neat about Penny's vision here is this, it's an extension of the classroom. So as we'll talk about later, I think, is um, it just gives the teachers more opportunities to look at ways they do their classroom, way they do their projects. So um, we set that up in a way that we wanted it to be a true um, learning space, a learning environment. So we, we look at makerspace. Um, we, our high school has a setting called the Innovation Center. Ours is a learning center. They're all creative learning spaces. Mm -hmm. but what the purpose of those spaces is different. Uh, the purpose of a maker space is for a kid to come in, in my mind, explore, and there are things there for them to do. That's somewhat similar to what our technology teacher is doing, having different areas for those kids to explore and grow in different places of his technology class within the technology standards. Um, this was for every classroom every classroom to have a place to go beyond their classroom walls physically and in a manner means that you can't often do within the classroom or individually as students need or in groups as they need to go and expand, develop their projects, their presentations, or work together to grasp whatever standard, whatever learning target is needed out of that classroom. I would think that teachers um, would be able to grasp the concept of what you're doing maybe even more readily than what's happening with makerspaces right now. I, I'm imagining a lot of teachers would see things like 3D printers and the Raspberry Pi kits and say, I'm not really sure how I could even make use of that. So you all have fun, but I'm still going to stay in my classroom. And you all are really trying to extend the classroom with, with other resources. Correct. So let's talk about what's actually in there. What 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 do you offer to teachers in the learning center? So, you know, that, I think that was the hard part. Um, you know, what do we put in there? We don't want to make it a technology center, and we don't want to make it, you know, in lack of a better word, we don't make it Starbucks, Panera Bread, that type of, of learning. I think we want it somewhere in the middle um, because today's kid, they want that. So, you know, really it's um, we have a couple different things. One is we have um, two interactive uh, flat panels, um, so they're they're uh, 65 inch and a 70 inch. We have two TVs that the kids can hook up uh, with their Chromebooks or mobile devices. Uh, we also have a uh, interactive projector. We have a green screen room. Uh, we have three cameras that they can uh, use throughout the the day or the, that specific period. Uh, we have an iPad that will go along with the green screen room that we use an app for green screen and, and video. Uh, we have 10 Chromebook computers. Uh, we have five or six desktops that are still being in use um, with different um, um, in ways that they'll, they'll use through digital video editing or other apps or other programs that will need desktops. Um, 
And we also have a lot of movable furniture. Really, we have 10 pieces of furniture um, that will be moved in different configurations throughout the week. Uh, the one thing that I noticed when I would do some research and look around is you can't have things that are in one spot. So if you put things in fours, they're going to stay in fours. So everything we have there is movable, whether it's the chairs, the interactive boards, uh, the flat panels. The only thing really that you can't move are the TVs that are mounted on the wall. And we also have an interactive projector that, that kids can um, get up and interact to. Uh, and the last thing, which is probably one of the more uh, interesting pieces, is really the start of it. And we'll probably talk about the, the how it's used through the day. Is um, It's a, an ID system when the kids come in. They scan their student ID, which goes to a spreadsheet that then the teacher in the classroom can see what time they um, checked into the learning center. What did what? you end up deciding to do with that? Because I know that we kind of went back and forth for a while with some ideas of how that could work, but we never found any really great seamless system. What did you end up doing? So I um, convinced our, our uh, photography uh, place to put their barcode on the bottom of their student IDs, and that barcode was just their last name and first name. Mm -hmm. It was that simple. So when the kids got their picture taken, um, you know, that they downloaded a program which they had already um, had on their um, computers. And then they put on the bottom of each kid's student ID just a long code, a barcode that has their last name, first name. So now when they walk in, all they do is scan the barcode. It spits out their last name, first name. Okay. And then so where does that information go? Because you were doing this partly because you all wanted some data on who was using this and how long they stayed and, sure. and that so does it does it do they record exits also no you know we talked about exits but um, I think right now our, our big push is we just want to have data on how many people are using it what times are they using it okay. um, really it was a design too from the standpoint of as a teacher how do I know that John Smith came down to the learning center at 1052 well all you have to do is check in a spreadsheet so right. I have a, a live Google spreadsheet that's um, that it goes into, and I created a timestamp that um, it automatically timestamps when they scan their barcode. Got it. Okay, so they come in, they scan, and then the information goes <clears throat> into a Google spreadsheet. And how how did you actually connect those two? What was the software program that you used to actually make? Because you've got just a regular, like a library barcode reader. Yeah. Okay. That was it. A barcode reader that um, scans it right into a cell, and in the cell, I have a program that's um, just a timestamp inside Google Spreadsheets. It's a very simple program. Mm -hmm. And then it, anything that you um, barcode and it goes into that cell, it automatically puts a timestamp right on it. Okay. And it's that Google Spreadsheet shared with our staff, so our staff know the kids there. Once the kids there, they have them and, and, and they stay. Uh, so that accountability piece as you manage a, a larger school or the teachers know that that's where a kid yeah. really did go. They can see right on their classroom computer that the kid just checked in because it'll come up live right on that spreadsheet. And exactly. then the accountability back is the teacher sends them down with, we call it a prescription because we didn't want it to symbol a hall pass. The prescription comes in and the kids, uh, this tells Mr. Kitchen, this is what they're working on. Right. And then that allows them to uh, give direction to the students of what might be there and the ch students make some choice. The interesting thing that I've seen in the beginning pieces the kids are often telling the teachers why they want to go to the learning center. Hmm. And, and they're figuring out why the learning center is a value. 
Okay, that's so, I see. I want to do a full walkthrough on how how the how all of this happens. Let me ask one other question because, so that I don't forget it. Because now I'm thinking about all this different furniture and equipment and technology that you all have, and I'm imagining someone listening to this saying, "That sounds great. How do we pay for this?" So, and I know that you all got some grant money, I believe, for for doing this. So let's talk about how you funded this project. When we started the proposal, we had no um, knowledge of any money coming our way. So our initial start was, what can we do with what we have? And uh, we had traditional furniture in the in there, uh, books. If you look at uh, at the video, I believe it even shows the before after. The books took up half the room, or at least the book stands took up half the room. Um, everything was very fastened, as you might say, and it was in its place. First thing uh, Mr. Kitchen did was wipe that out, almost wiped out the contents, Not didn't give them away or anything, but opened up the space. Uh, the books now became consolidated along the wall, and for those who have a love of books, we have as many books as we did before. We consolidated them, and we're in process of working with our local library for movement of books they have to us on a daily basis, or on a weekly basis, so kids can go in, check out books from our community library, they can be delivered here, they bring them back here, we deliver them back to the library. So in essence, we have expanded our library collection, not shrunk it. Nice, okay, and, they, and that's, that was gonna be another question. Kids still can come in and use it the way they would use a traditional library. Absolutely, okay. they can come, get a book, read. Uh, and and that, that, that's another topic in itself. We can even grow that to possible, the electronics, the Kindles, all of that in the mm -hmm. future. So with that, we, he took what furniture we have that he could move and be creative with it. Um, we had some donations. I donated some stuff that I had. Uh, we went out. And then we were fortunate to get uh, a county grant. Do you remember the amount? 20000 We It was 20000 So a significant number, but not so exorbitant that, you know, a lot of schools maybe can't help with that. Um, working with some companies, and that's where Ed's background came in, to decide what was bells and whistles, uh, and then latest and greatest to what was something that could grow, um, and and what would bring kids in. And I will uh, give Mr. Kitchen all of that with his research and some of his visits. Um, as silly as it sounds, I would almost give up every technology thing. In there wouldn't be one technology thing I wouldn't give up out of the furniture. The furniture is the integral piece in that movement that kids can move and go and how they sit or where they go working together in pairs or partners or large group or if a teacher does come down and use it and we rearrange the furniture, that's where I see the creativity of how they're collaborating. That's and really interesting. Yeah. Other tools. So that's my non-technological perception. Mr. Kitchen from there. Um, no, I, I agree. I, I think you know, the first question would be how much, you know, did you spend? And, you know, at the first half of the year, we didn't have that. So it, it functioned very similar to how we're functioning now. We were just fortunate enough to have money to, to get some, um, for a lack of a better word, fun tools in there that really the, the kids can um, use. So without those tools, it, it still functioned a very similar way it is now with the collaboration and the different ways. We just had um, desk chairs uh, with with wheels on them, um, mm -hmm. the old computer chairs that rolled around, um, and some, some in-house furniture 
Um, it's just the newer stuff has really uh, kind of put a, a top on the, the collaboration part of it. Yeah. yeah. So I want to go in the direction that you all want to go. And one thing we could do is sort of just look at this in terms of how does it get used? How would a, would a teacher and then their student come in and use it? Um, or we could talk about how you actually rolled it out to staff. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that I'll talk a little bit about, I think, how the really the day works or really how the period works. Uh, and then I think Penny can really talk about the staff. Um, just imagine yourself as a classroom teacher and you, you probably want to send kids out to the hallway but are afraid to send kids out to the hallway because of X, Y, and Z. Some yeah. teachers are, are, are you know, hesitant of that. So now this space has opened that. So if you want to um, now personalize your learning, which is what we're doing nowadays anyway, um, you can send now three or four kids down to this learning center um, with this prescription and allows us really to work with them. So it starts out with a kid walking in with the, the prescription from the teacher, scan their ID, and from there, what our job is, we, we need to, you know, really get an analysis of the student needs and then what, what kind of work are they doing? Do they need the green screen room? Do they just quiet space? Do they need to sit with each other? Do they grab a Chromebook? And what's funny is at this age, they, um, they know what they're going to do. So when they come down here, they, they have an idea. If they don't, they're, they're old enough and young enough at the same time to really ask and to be inquisitive on how can I make this project different? So once they walk in, scan it, go to their appropriate area and they start working. And really we're just, uh, you know, kind of facilitator. Um, and, and they know over time what and where they should be going and working on what project, whether it's a, um, you know, an interactive whiteboard where they go to the green screen or where they do an old paper, pencil, cutting, um, things like that. So my job was I wanted them to know when they walked in the door where to go. You know, what what station, what collaboration pod, what can I move, where do I go work, and they're really on their own. So um, we have kids from art, science, math, you know, language arts. We can have those kids from each discipline at any given time. Um, can you and they just get to work. Can you give me a few examples of some of the neat things you've seen kids working on when they come in? Maybe some things you weren't expecting that have just arisen now from having this space available? Um, well, one is the video. Um, as, a, as a technology teacher, and even when I taught math, it was very hard to, to create technology math. So um, this has really given me the opportunity to kind of give kids examples. So um, when they go present, they can use the green screen room, for example. We have an app that um, has a newscast on it. So we have kids coming in, and, and instead of giving a PowerPoint or a Google slide presentation, about a certain um, uh, project they're on, they will partner up with the kids and they will do actually a newscast. And we have a teleprompter that I hooked up through a Chromebook that they can actually um, uh, look at it as a newscast or a weather forecast or a sports center forecast or a top 10. I mean, we're really using things that they see every day that they enjoy um, that is will make the presentation more personal and, and they're gonna the accountability of it is is the piece that I think um, what you're gonna see from the teacher perspective is you're gonna get um, some work that's more personal so we have a lot of green screen use with the apps um, we also have just plain old video where they will just um, 
look at themselves as a uh, as an interviewer out in the um, you know field somewhere interviewing somebody or I had a kid one day and, and, and really you got to get the pulse of what the kids are looking at and um, they watch a lot of MTV and they um, I had a kid do an MTV crib of our LC so he had somebody do the camera and they walked through the LC like it was his house and he explained everything what was going on in it and um, it was just you know really off the cuff that wasn't planned um, it, it was very neat to see um, so we have a, a, a lot of those different types um, the other one I think that's probably um, used more is uh, just a collaboration piece on the on the Chromebook and just to be able to display it on a 40 inch TV and for everybody to have input on it um, is is I think missing out there because that's what we do in our working world is we, we have to work with people and that was the tradition of the the goal of the collaboration pods. So as a principal when I go down I'll, I'll see a group of kids off studying for a test in a traditional sense. Uh, I'll see a kid in the green screen room maybe taping their poem for a language arts class mm -hmm. or two or three kids doing a skit in there. I'll see another group and they have two or three Chromebooks tied into one of our flat screen TVs as a monitor and they're working and editing all three together on some paper or some topic or some presentation. Um, I'll see a couple other kids over on one of our panels working through some math and it, it's kind of great for some of those tactile kids so they're coming in and they're just doing the traditional math equations but they're writing them with their finger on this flat screen and working through it so it's got a tactile point um, Mr. Kitchen being a math person will pull up something that'll help him help them understand or uh, there, you'll, you'll see six different classrooms, different kids, um, and then some of them are just in there, they're just talking, or they're sitting on the, the rocking chair that's on the floor because that's the way it works for them. Mm -hmm. uh, depending on space that you have, you know, you have some quiet spaces, and we're not done. Um, we've already talked about what, what comes next, and that's why I say it's so important not to limit the space and have things fastened down. Uh, because it changes. I, I, I see it. Teachers have come in and brought their whole class because you can sign this center out and then it's a creative place for either presentations or for some type of work going on that you really need kids doing all kinds of things and you can be there. Mm -hmm. um, I also see it administratively as in the future we have a, a side room because we are eventually going to be a one-to-one -one school in the near two years, I would say. Our labs are being used so much less because our kids have their own devices or we have enough Chromebooks to work. Um, that that lab that's next door might even be a place where we have an equipment and the teacher has an opportunity to try the equipment, bring their classroom in, experience it, work with the kids, see if that's what's needed. Uh, you may not need a clever touch every day, but it's here to use in this environment. So it's really just creative learning space for students first, but also the staff. And you asked me the question about how the buy-in. I think um, when you're planning something like this, you first have to ask what is your goal of this space. And our goal that we set was extension of the classroom because we were afforded this opportunity kind of in the midst of something, we didn't get the planning process 
we got school starting, do it. <laughs> yeah, so I yeah. would encourage everybody to have that opportunity prior, talk with staff, build up, get the ideas and the buy-in. That didn't happen for us, so it's been a process through the year of creating ways to get kids in, inviting teachers in, you know, actually working with staff and pulling them in. But ultimately, the turning point that I saw um, being spring, kind of that flip um, that started to occur was when the students started asking the teachers to go down, to be down there. To, and that started drawing teachers into, well, why do they want to be there? What are they doing? And when the products started coming back and the teachers saw the kids learning as a result of that, that's a change. Um, just recently in the second semester, um, the other change I'm seeing now is when I see our, our staff planning, they talk about, oh, they could do this in the learning center. So now the staff are starting to think of the learning center as a piece of their planning. Uh, and I think that's that's the involvement that will occur to the point that the learning center is not even going to be enough. It, everybody will be want, vying for it. But that's the great piece that the teacher doesn't have to be there. Classrooms can plan that as an extension and send kids down. Right. Right. How did you let everybody know at the beginning? I remember at the very beginning of the school year, you were barely even in furniture at that point, And it was just like, well, school's opening, so here we go. So how did you let everybody in the building know, here's what we have, here's what's available, here are all the tools? How did you orient everybody to the new space? So I went to the uh, science department, uh, really just picked a department. It really didn't matter and said, you know, are you willing to give up one day uh, a period to bring your kids down? And, you know, we gave them their IDs, explained the check-in process, and really just described what the, the learning center is. Um, and so really it just took one day. Um, and then we sprinkled in, obviously, uh, throughout the next week or two, uh, the kids that were missing. So just brought them in one period, kind of introduced ourselves, um, took a peek at what's in the learning center, what can be done, what can't be done. Um, you know, laid out some really groundwork in terms of uh, how do you get in here, how the teacher's going to let you in here, um, and what we're going to have in here maybe in the future. This was very early. This was September, and we didn't get our, our furniture until after uh, after Christmas break. So um, this was very early. So really, I just grabbed a class and um, took one day. It was the best way really we thought to do it rather than to kind of message it out through announcements or you know, paper, just bring them in physically, show them what's going on, and um, from there, uh, took off. Were there any kind of special guidelines that you had to set for students or teachers, really, just to make sure that the space was used um, appropriately, that you managed for crowd control or taking care of the equipment or anything along those lines? Yeah, you know, as a classroom teacher, and, and I, you know, I kind of lend myself back to that and kind of just try to think of how I managed my classroom. I didn't have rules, I had procedures. Mm -hmm. So really my goal was, if, if you teach the kids and explain to the teachers, these are th this is what happens when you walk in. Um, I, I think the process becomes a little easier. Um, so, you know, obviously we talked about food and drink and um, don't, you know, how many, you know, how many kids can you bring down at one time? That was a huge question from the teachers. How do I know? And and our thought was, you send how many ever you want, I'll send you back what I don't want. Um, and we really haven't had an issue with that. Um, you know, we know what our limit is. Um, uh, we try to accommodate as many as we can. So I think if you, you put rules on and you put, you know, a 
parameters on it, then I don't, I don't think the space then lends itself to what it is. I mean, we are breaking down the walls within the classroom. So um, really just to go about it in those ways, kind of explain this is what we're going to go, this is what we're going to go with. It's not a classroom. Don't send your whole class down here. That's not what we want. We want to try to, to get kids from each different, you know, discipline, math, art, science, language, arts, and so forth. So uh, once we set those parameters, then um, it, it just it will work itself out. Okay. Having, having taught middle school, I'm imagining a room full of kids that have been all sent down by their teachers and just you as the only adult in the room, or maybe you with one other person. And I'm thinking that depending on the kids that get sent down, things could get rowdy and they could get off task. So how have you, and I'm sure that anybody listening to this is thinking, it, it, they could get off task very easily with, uh, you know, less supervision than when they're in their own teacher's classroom. So how have you managed those incidents, or do they just not happen? Oh, they happen. <laughs> uh, the, the funny part is, as a high school teacher for 22 years, I've never been in a middle school classroom. So it is different. I mean, I've always said that when I go out and do professional development. Um, it is different. So what I think, we've had schools come in here and look at our learning center, look at our equipment, and the first thing that, that I will talk to them about is don't just take this and put it in your class, put it in your school district. Because I, I think it takes a, I won't say a special person, but a person that will be able to handle exactly what you just said is a bunch of teenage kids going in there because they are middle school kids. And I think if you just get up and um, be active with them and engage with them, they're, they're going to follow along with whatever they're supposed to be doing. Um, now, I'm not as specific um, as I would be in a classroom because I think the learning center tends to be that flexible space, sometimes a loud space. Um, but, again, it it's lends itself to that collaborative piece where um, I, my gift or, and my – I think my specialty is that's how I ran my classroom. It was it was controlled chaos, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. I mean, and it's not quiet. That's not the design of it, um, because we wanted it that way. Um, and kids will go in there. We've had kids that don't like to come in there because it is that way. And I think that's fine. That's that's perfectly okay. We want the we want the kids to you know go to the space that they want to be able to perform in and learn in. So um, you know we'll have fifty to sixty kids in there at one time. And wow. let me tell you, it's it's a challenge, but I think it's a fun challenge because as long as they're working towards that goal, um, then, I, then I think it's a, a neat space to see. So the key is for you to be actually walking around and not just up behind that front desk. I think there's two keys, Jennifer. One is the person in there does have to be invested and buy into the process, and I the control the. Chaos, the controlled chaos was the words that I, I was looking for in that it, if you were standing outside our library, you might see chaos. But if you walk in and you start listening, you're hearing the different conversations, you're hearing the different things going on, and they really are on point. The second, so that person who is not the librarian that was behind the desk waiting on a book to get checked out and shushing anybody, that, that day is not a learning center. They're out there. They can tell you and they're, they're guiding, they're facilitating. They don't have to be doing direct instruction and one-on-one. -on -one. The second piece is that prescription piece. Why is the kid there? It isn't just because this is a fun, exciting technology spot. I'm here with a purpose. 
Right. And, and this is what I came down to do. Now, to Mr. Kitchen's um, credit, one of the things, the buy-in that you ask about, like say, I think has been driven from the kids. And another way that he invested in that, we have a period in the middle of our day where the kids have a half an hour, we call it student center. It's a homeroom, study hall period. They can get different services. And then the other half hour of it is lunch. So eighth grade has student center for a half hour. They opened the doors of the learning center. Instead of going off and taking their lunch right then, they opened the doors of the learning center and they have developed, this would be kind of close to a makerspace in a way, but um, interactive games, often um, trivia games, but they're learning games. It's not in often current events or on topics or different subjects. And the kids come down and they participate in those games and they have a blast and they're having fun. And so the kids are asking to go to the learning center Teachers can, you know, look at that two ways. Oh, they're, they're getting out of things and they're just wanting to go to the learning center and play. Or they can say, hey, they want to go to the learning center. Hey, you can go to the learning center Tuesday when you get caught up in all your language arts. They can use it in a multitude of ways mm -hmm. as a, a positive reinforcement for doing the things they need to do. And so I think the buy-in came, too, from the investment from Mr. Kitchen um, and and his um, the partner uh, Jeff Stanford on how can we get kids in here to see these tools to have fun and learn uh, and then that just has facilitated kids telling teachers what they can do. Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't mean that bad. I mean like, hey, you got this project? Can I take it down and do this? Well, let's well, let's talk a little bit about that, Ed, because I know that you had talked about wanting to work kind of regularly touch base with the teachers about units that they have coming up so that you're not just passively sitting there waiting for people to show up whenever they feel like it. It's a more active cycle, I guess, that you had envisioned. Um, tell me how that has played out in terms of your engagement with the teachers. Well, I think it started at the beginning. You know, you, um, I'm a grassroots um, kind of person when it comes to a, a new thing. So, um, you know, when we brought in Chromebooks to the district, it's, it's grassroots. You find two or three people, get them to buy in, and then they just start talking to their peers, and then it goes that way. Kind of the same way I did this. You know, I, I went to a teacher and said, hey, what do you got coming up? What kind of projects do you have? Let's try it. You know, have you ever thought about doing it with the video? Have you ever thought about bringing your kids down and just having them work in spaces in here? And they're like, no. So we started out that way, and then from there, you know, they meet, you know, once a day. You know how teachers are meeting now anyway and they, they discussed like hey you should take your class down to the learning center because they did you know they did this um, group project and then they they thought of a different way to do it so at first it really started small but then now it's it's almost like a fight to get in or how can I then they come to me and say how can I make this um, project different and um, because they are getting tired of doing the same thing in terms of whether they're just presenting on a Google slide or a um, just standing up and doing a report or writing a paper. So now, you know, it's it's more of as the grassroots came and uh, the teachers went around and talking to each other. And if I, you know, if I recognized and didn't see a, maybe a, a discipline here and there, not um, use it, I would go up to them and just say, hey, have you ever, you know, what are you doing next? Have you ever thought of bringing your kids down? Can you do a video? Hey, I found something on the green screen, that, you know, I think you would like. And you know, it's really just not forcing it because I, you can't really force the things on the teachers. You want the teachers to have the buy-in, and 
as a classroom teacher, I didn't like that anyway. If not, you know, if someone came and said, "Hey, you have to use this," and um, it's really just like, "Hey, here's an option. If you like it, you know, go with it. If not, let's try to find another way to do it." Yeah. yeah. It sounds like you actually being aware of what they're teaching is a big key to that as opposed to you just sort of saying we've got some great things if you ever want to sometimes those generalized invitations don't really go anywhere if a person you're helping people actually connect the dots between their content and the tools that you have available to them yeah and that i mean i think the last couple of years really the last 10 years being a technology tutor um you know professional development has has helped um you know you don't want to you want to take the stuff that we've always um, been good at or what we like and just try to infuse some of some tools you know really uh, and the key is you know it's just an extra tool in the toolbox um, and nowadays we just have we have a lot of kids that need that extra tool um, and I think the learning you know environment that we have down there is um, we have probably four or five or six different tools that now the teacher can just lean on um, and the advantage is you know uh, in terms of having a teacher in there rather than just maybe an outsider or um, I don't want to say librarian or a media center specialist but an actual teacher that has been in the classroom and has done some of this is I think very beneficial I think it would be hard for someone who hasn't either experienced this or even seen it to be able to kind of um, look through the lens that a teacher would right right and you and your background was math first and then you kind of moved into technology yeah I mean as, as a classroom teacher I um, I just as the whiteboards came in in the early 2000s and I worked with Texas Instruments a little bit with a calculator so um, my passion really became on the professional development side of, of teaching other teachers how to use what we have um, and I just thought it was uh, it was you know you needed to share stuff so you know I've been doing that for 15 years yeah. Um, so now that you know more and more technology is coming down the pike with one to one and Chromebooks and you know the the, the live spreadsheets and live documents, um, this was a pretty easy transition for me. Right. So when we share this with teachers, one of the things I would love to do is actually give them a downloadable copy of the prescription form, <laughs> so that they can see how that works. Would that be possible to to do that or to sure sure yeah okay okay because I have a feeling that seeing how that actually works would would help people to do that yeah and the funny part is there really isn't um there really isn't a right way yet like yeah Penny said we we haven't really um talked about what the best way is yet we've tried some different ones we've tried electronic uh we tried paper and pencil so we're really we're trying a few different things to really see what works and then um and then it kind of just evolving just almost like the learning center where um, you know, it's not just one way to do it. So there are a few different ways that we have tried. Right. And it's as simple as the hall pass, really, other than just the name and place. Mm -hmm. It just says this is what they're doing or they need to use this. So it's really simplistic, um, but we can do something like that. I think um, anybody looking to do a creative learning space, um, if you're going to go along the lines of the Learning Center where it's a classroom extension, Ed touched on the fact that he's been a teacher. Um, I'm sure there's other people who maybe could do this that aren't teachers, but whoever you have has to have buy-in themselves. They have to see the vision and the lens of what it can be. Because uh, honestly, once I turned it over, I got to have fun. 
Ed got to sit down there and figure out how things um, should go or what we could try. I initially, prior to our uh, our grant coming in, I was bringing in Legos. We were talking about just basic whiteboards kids could write on, buying film for tabletops to write on. So there's massive ways this creative collaboration can happen that aren't those high-end dollars. And I know for many school districts, 20000 maybe isn't her, a, a mass amount, but we felt like that was fabulous to yeah. have. Um, so the money doesn't have to be limiting. It's the creativity that makes this happen. And the flexibility of that space sounds like yeah. that's a really big key. So, so if a school is listening now and they're thinking, I would really like to try this, you know, where can they start? I mean, what, what would be some maybe tips for what not to do and things that they should do? I, I think the initial is some strong conversations with your central office, with uh, your teachers, with some of the leads about what's going to be your purpose. Is your purpose going to be the maker space where kids can come and create and be and maybe a related art? Is your purpose going to be supporting teachers to be able to bring classes in and have these extra tools to use, which is similar to our high school initiative? Um, or is your purpose like ours where you want to be an extension of every classroom and give these outlets? So once you define your purpose, um, that's huge because that stays your focus of, of where you're headed. Uh, and then from there, um, who are your key players um, and, and what are those roles? Uh, you want to get those things defined. What is your budget? Um, and what's going to be your opening? You always need a, a, a catalyst, a catcher, or, or something like that. And that was a discussion we had. How, where do you, oh, we didn't get to have a grand opening. School opened and we had an empty room. You know, uh, so I would encourage somebody if they have that time to have a grand opening. And mm. we actually put together uh, what we called a learning center committee. So we brought in our local librarian, our high school media specialist, and myself, our director of instruction. Um, and we sat down and talked about what's our next steps, what can we do. They were who helped say yes, that we validate this is the way to spend the grant money. So it was a collaborative process as well. Mm -hmm. I think we did it in a fairly short timeline. Um, I would only encourage others to have a little bit more on the forefront of planning than we did. But if you're graced an opportunity, you don't turn it down. Mm -hmm. and, well, and I think it's to your credit that you guys didn't say, well, we're just going to close the library for six months while we wait for this thing to be perfect. You just went ahead with what you had and right. started yep. using the space differently instead and of that, waiting that for all the That was the not knowing there. we had money. We knew we had the, <laughs> you know, I dug in my basement and found all leftover Legos, you know, we did those things and those have not been used in the way we thought, but they're on the shelf and they will get used someday, I'm quite certain, as kids build projects. Yeah, yeah. Well, is there anything else before we wrap up that you would want to share with people interested in, in doing this? Um, I mean, I, I think you have to, to go on your on your comment of what's positive and negative. Is you really have to figure out how your staff and how your school operates, um, because it, this is this this is going to be different in all different parts, whether it's um, high school, middle school, and um, where you're at in the country. Um, it really depends on how you want the, the space. You know, you can 
look and read about how different um, schools are, are, you know, changing their um, common spaces, changing their libraries, changing their media center. Um, and I wanted to make it unique. We, we wanted to do something totally different. And um, I think we've achieved that. And I think we have achieved really connecting with the, the classroom and with the teachers. Um, and like Penny said, it's just going to keep evolving in terms of um, what's going to happen with our one-to-one, our -one, what's going to happen with our project-based learning, what's going to happen in really every day um, as these kids move forward. So um, I, I really think you got to look at what your teachers and what your kids are, are doing right now and kind of adapt uh, to that. Well, thank you so much for sharing this. And we're going to get uh, pictures and video and stuff so that anybody listening to this can go to the actual blog post and look at how how you guys have, have arranged that space so that uh, they can really picture it. Sure. And I mean, I think I would encourage people, too, if, if they're near us or want to contact us, we're more, you know, our doors are always open uh, to come in, watch. Um, you know, as an educator, I think that we don't, um, and as a coach, we, we don't, we want to reinvent. We want to go and just take the best ideas. And if we can get more, more activity in these kids' hands and the more things that they can be, you know, accustomed to, I think, is, is our job. No, I, I think um, the involvement, we aren't done, we'll never be done, we'll grow, we'll be creative. But having good people invested, um, Ed taking off on it uh, and, and just taking charge of it was huge. And then I get to be that support person that either sells it or brings in ideas. Um, we've been very fortunate. Uh, 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 a school not far from us opened their doors to us to see what they were doing. There's no right or wrong. It's what does your school need, what is your staff ready for, and what can your students do. Whether you call that a makerspace or a learning center or an innovation center, it's once you find your purpose, what can you do? How does it you how do you make it work for your your school, your kids? I bet your school your teachers are really grateful that, that you are thinking expansively you know, and, and really trying to make the most of this space. I'm sure there are a lot of underutilized libraries out there that could use some kind of, uh, of an upgrade. So. I, I think for us what's going to happen is we're going to take a space that maybe ran some weeks, five to ten kids through its doors, to it will be the integral piece that moves our school into the, the personalization, the technology, era that our kids are entering and it'll be integral or based around what's happening from this learning center. You know, we're averaging around 120 kids a day that go through the doors. That's I was going to ask that. Yeah, that's a that's a huge leap. In a school of uh, uh, right around 500. See we just, we just oh, have yeah. two grades. So that gives you some idea. Yeah. It is a tool. Our teachers are still our most important facilitators of learning. And these are just tools that let that teacher have more personalized time with the kid. Um, so they direct it, and, and this is going to become integral even further as our education process goes forward. Thanks so much to Penny and Ed for sharing your story with us. To see pictures of the Learning Center and to link to all the resources mentioned in this episode, including a full transcript of our interview, go to cultofpedagogy.com slash pod and click on episode 38. Thanks for listening and have a great day. This podcast is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, 
podcasts by educators. To learn more, visit edupodcastnetwork.com.